Hey, if you're invested in the Las Vegas mayoral race, and really, we should all be, you're going to want to check out the Nevada Independent Mayoral Forum on Wednesday, May 15th at the Fountain Blue. The Indy CEO, John Ralston, will be moderating a live panel with the three frontrunners. You know, it could get spicy, so don't miss it. Tickets are available at thenevadaindependent.com slash events. And as a bonus for CityCast Las Vegas members, we've got two pairs of tickets we're giving away tonight. So make sure to join at membership.citycast.fm if you haven't already. This week, the news came in fast and furious. So today on CityCast Las Vegas, I'm here with contributor Vogue Robinson and Nevada Current editor April Corbin Gurness. And we're talking about the big Jesus Jara resignation news, that viral video taken by two Muslim women at a Kamala Harris event, and why so many cars don't have license plates. It's Friday, February 2nd. I'm Sonia Cho Swanson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Vogue, April, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Oh, yeah. It's me. spicy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for this? This is oh. like... <laughs> Is this the most exhausting week of news ever? You know, no, that will be next week. Oh, okay. <laughs> Somebody say election year? What? Mm, hot mess oh, yeah. all year long. Mm. Oh my God, I'm not ready for it all. But here we go anyways, because <laughs> the biggest news that broke this week was from CCSD Superintendent Jesus Jara. And April, you've been there on the front lines reporting what is going on. Yeah. So Wednesday of this week, uh, CCSD announced that Jesus Jara is going to is is trying to leave. So he submitted a letter of resignation that's contingent upon the board of trustees allowing a change to his contract that allows him to leave earlier than the current contract. Essentially, what you need to know is that he's asking to leave the district on February 21st would be his last day hmm. and he would get a lump sum payout of about a year's worth of salary which is north of $400,000 um, once you consider um, salary and benefits hmm. so that that's obviously a big sum and a big change and they will be the trustees will be voting on it and, and talking about it um, on Wednesday of next week okay so uh, I think what I've heard is that the teachers union CCEA threw a new wrench into the works, and they claimed that Jara's resignation actually comes on the heels of that court order. Remember when he was um, ordered to release his uh, social media records after that whole burner account debacle? Yeah. Mm. Um, and they're they're kind of claiming that, like, rather than release social media records and then get fired, he's trying to get a payout <laughs> before and resign on his own terms. I mean, is there any truth to this? Uh, I mean, if you ask CCA, they you know they they had a press conference on Thursday morning calling it highly suspicious the timing. So the trustees meeting to vote on whether or not they're going to allow Jesus Jara to leave is on Wednesday. The deadline that CCSD has agreed to to release the public records that CCA is requesting related to that social media account is Monday. So that's two days difference, right? So that's 
that's a sort of that's of course assuming that CCSD complies and gives the records or that they give all of the records. So I asked at the press conference whether or not CCA expects to get those records and release them between Monday and Wednesday's meeting. And CCA executive John Velardito was like, you know, if it's relevant and related to that, then yes, but we don't know exactly how much they will release, how compliant there will be, right? Um, so, so that's the kind of big question hanging over the air. And that's what they're publicly accusing is that, hey, this drama, a drama is brewing uh, and he's trying to leave early before he gets fired. Not only that, but Loki is basically just holding folks hostage. It's like, oh, do you want <laughs> me to leave? Because the, the big thing for Rocio's article in the Nevada Independent clearly said, like, look, mm-hmm. his tenure is marked by the shutdowns. Like, he was superintendent through COVID. Worst time to be a person mm-hmm. in power. Mm-hmm. You got fired and rehired in 2021. There's multiple contract disputes. Lots of people have deep disdain and, like, no no faith in Jesus and what, he, what, what his group even. Because it's not just one mm-hmm. person. Um, destroying our school district. It's a team sport, but <laughs> it's very clear. So many of us um, are just, look, it's so hard to say, explain this without cuss words, you guys. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm going to regroup, regrouping. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. between all of the drama that has happened the entire time that he's been superintendent, he has never backed down. So for this to be the first time where he's like, you know what, guys, you want me to leave? I'll leave. Uh, but waive the 90 days that I would normally have to give you before I leave. So mm-hmm. change my contract. Give me at least $325,000. Uh, and then I will go. I'll go and I'll live a life. I'll, I'll, I'll skip town and you'll never have to hear from me. I'll go back to Florida. Bro, it has to be because you don't want anybody to see what they have on you. This is giving suits. This is giving scandal. And I know because <laughs> I'm rewatching both of them. And it's just like... <laughs> Yeah, I feel I, I feel like I'm baby in a corner and um I hope I hope that the school district and the student and the um Clark County Teachers Associations are like nobody puts baby in a corner because that's BS. <laughs> you if you want to leave, go ahead and leave. But who leaves in less than 30 days, bro, in the kind of position that you're in? It's it's disrespectful. In the middle of the school year. And it's worth noting that uh Jara has not given an official reason for leaving. So obviously there there's speculation on CCA's front and on teachers' front and on the community. Anybody who's watching sort of has their their guesses, uh, mm-hmm. but he, he himself has not, has not at to this point given a reason for leaving. So th- there mm-hmm. could be a valid reason floating out there to give him the benefit of the doubt, even though his reputation's mm-hmm. not great. Um, there could be personal reasons. Uh, you know, it was announced late last month that his mother had died. He missed oh. the CCSD's annual State of the State right. uh, that was scheduled. He canceled it about two days early, I think, uh, two mm-hmm. days prior to that, saying that his mother died and obviously had to deal with that. So there could be personal reasons that obviously there, there, who knows? But to this point, he has not explained uh, why he is leaving. Mm. And uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, Rocio Hernandez's story from the Nevada Independent. She she broke the news this week. Um, but her article also pointed out that Jara is actually one of five Nevada yeah. superintendents who have yeah. resigned or announced their resignation this school year. I mean, he's not alone. Right. So I think what's making me think about is, is the role of a superintendent like a thankless job? I mean, it's been really rough for a lot of superintendents around the country with the pandemic. I mean, should we maybe be giving Jara a little more credit with dealing with the pandemic and these tumultuous times? No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It would be different if his salary wasn't like, you know, mm, at least like eight times many different teachers' (laughs) salaries. And so I think when you can live a certain lifestyle and that you have the audacity to think that you can negotiate out of your contract early 
and still ask for a full year salary. You have a deep sense of entitlement. And so I think it's so much power. And I know that's a lot of pressure. I wouldn't want the job. Uh, Bless the lady who's about to get handed this role. And I think it's hard for any time you're stepping into a role and you've been handed kind of something that's semi in shambles. And I think the state of Nevada, I think it is a difficult state to kind of manage just because we have so many different communities inside of communities inside of communities. Every single district needs something different. So what mm. what didn't work for Clark County probably didn't work for Washoe either, probably didn't work for this one and that one and the other one. So I think it's a challenge, but I think you have to step up to the plate and study and know that a good chunk of your life is going to be taken away because mm. this is the role that you chose or you you advocate for multiple people to assist. So to quote Spider-Man, with great power comes yeah. great responsibility. Great responsibility. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And and even though we talk a lot about like other counties or other school districts in the state of Nevada, like CCSD is unmatched. Like CCSD oh. is not at the size or scope of the other 16 or whatever it is, um, superintendents that exist in Nevada. Like Washoe County is a fraction, even that they're second, they're the second largest and their superintendent also resigned recently, but it's, it, they're in a different league, you know, like it's hard to compare, or I don't think it's fair necessarily to compare um, CCSD's top leader with anybody else in the state uh, because they have very different challenges. I mean, some of those districts have three schools in them. Like, and oh. then CCSD's over here with, um, you know, the fifth largest school district in the the country. So it's just, he's at a higher level. And I think that you can sort of, like folks say, you do, it comes with a different level of responsibility um, mm. and a different power. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. he's 40,000 40, employees of CCSD and he's the boss of them. So that there's thinking of the, sco- the scope of it, mm-hmm. it, it's a higher threshold. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that next in line, Dr. Brenda Larson-Mitchell, who has shown up on the agenda for the next school board meeting as potentially the next interim uh, Mm. superintendent, I believe. April, what do we know about her? Uh, We know that (laughs) she's been with the district for a long time. She's not new. Since 1994. So she's a long she's a long lifer. And CCA, the teachers union at their press conference, said that they have no faith in Brenda Larson Miller. (laughs) And they are (laughs) they are uh, saying that she is, you know, Jara's secondhand person and that (sighs) her elevating her, whether or not in an interim role or permanently, perhaps would be more of the same and they are sort of pushing back against that. So don't expect her to be sort of welcome. Well, you know, (laughs) don't expect her to be embraced with open arms necessarily by the public. So she's highly controversial. And that's going to be the case because Jara picks his cabinet, right? He picks his people that are nearest to him. And so everybody in there is likely not going to be liked by the people who don't like Jara, right? So mm-hmm. um, so we'll see how that plays mm-hmm. out. Um, oh, and you know, April, quick clarification. I realize I just said interim superintendent, but do we know if she's going to be the interim superintendent? What's the deal with that? <laughs> so actually, it's a little bit unclear. Uh, it's highly unusual for, it would be highly unusual for CCSD or any school district to go from a permanent superintendent to another permanent superintendent. Usually there's an interim, even if that interim later becomes the superintendent. Um, the actual wording of the agenda doesn't use the word interim. So there is some confusion as to whether or not the board would be looking for her as a permanent or interim. Um, so that's something we're, we're still waiting on.
Hey, it's David Figler, and one of my favorite food festivals is coming back to town. It's Vegas Unstripped over at the Palms Hotel on Saturday, May 18th. Over two dozen chefs from some of Las Vegas' most talked-about restaurants creating original, unique menu items they've never made before. Chef creativity at its best. We're talking chefs from Partage, Esther's Kitchen, Milpa, EDO, and more, including this year's James Beard Award finalist Steve Kessler from Aroma. Tickets are $150 and are all-inclusive of food and drink, so you don't have to pay for anything once you're inside. No hidden-up charges. I went last year, and it was so crowded in the best possible way. We got one remarkable dish after another, and while it was a little indulgent, here's the best part. The net proceeds go to local charities. So head on over to VegasUnstripped.com to get your tickets now. We'll see you there. All right, on to our next topic. A video from a Kamala Harris event in Las Vegas went viral this week. Vogue, what do you know about that? Oh, election season is a hot mess. (laughs) Um, So the VP (laughs) came to town and uh, was having like a gathering. And at this gathering, people were, you had to get a wristband. You had to have an invitation to come in. So two women who were wearing hijabs walked up to go into the event and they got turned away and told, sorry, you've been disinvited. Not uninvited, like disinvited. And I'm like, okay, did they did their power dissipate as well? (laughs) I have questions. Um, But because these two women were turned away, Nevadans for Palestinian Liberation posted the video on Twitter X. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. X Twitter, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And the video of of course, went viral. And the the unnamed women said over and over, like, you know, what do you mean we can't come in? We have we have the credentials. Why aren't we allowed in? And the women immediately said, well, you know, you're being, you're being, this is Islamophobic. This is racist. You're supporting white supremacy. And I was like, oh, we are throwing all of the, throwing <laughs> the book <laughs> in this direction. And even calling to question, you know, allyship for the two people who were out front really um, enforcing uh, the block. And so, you know, the question is, what was the reason? And it, based on the response from the Biden-Harris campaign, they're they're saying no, that that's not the reason. The you know, women wearing hijabs, that wasn't the reason why the, the people were seen as like threats that they had been rabble rousers at a previous event. And so that's the reason why. Um, but my question is like, well, if y'all already knew that, then how did they get past the first checkpoint? Why mm-hmm. is it that the two people at the door... Like, did y'all send out text messages with faces? How how was this decided? How is that information like distributed? So I have many a question, but I just want to tell y'all it's it's so messy. Yeah. I mean, this is just like kind of like a PR disaster on so many levels. Like you said, Vogue, like, you know, how how did the the guest list not get vetted ahead of time um, if what they're saying is true? I mean, this this video really just seemed to have struck a chord. And I'm curious, why do you think that this video went so viral? The video went viral because it's a compelling story that Democrats who are supposed to be the party of inclusion and the party protecting minorities, that they're excluding somebody for wearing a hijab, right? Like if a Republican had done that, everybody would be like, okay, yeah, of course, <laughs> you know, that's just the reality of it, you know, like, mm. I don't, and I don't think that they would necessarily do that. But because it's the Democratic Party, who is supposed to be the party of inclusion, I think that's why it struck a chord with a lot of people outside of that. And then largely, it's also striking a chord because um, Israel 
and Hamas and everything going on over there is Mm -hmm. a dividing issue within the Democratic Party, especially Mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, Muslim women and especially with younger generations. Uh, And so it's something that people are watching. And and of course, it's it's going to make news. Right, right. Watching this video, I just felt so many things because on the one hand, like just as a human being, like my heart is just like hurting over the horrific things that are happening in the Middle East right now. Of course, we should be feeling things about that. Absolutely. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't be a human and not feel something like the horror of like the loss of life happening there. Right. When it comes to this kind of political activism, though, and the way activism gets so immediately turned into a churn for social media, I feel really torn because I think it it flattens things into something really one dimensional. And so I'm not saying that like protest or, you know, activism or civil rights protest isn't meaningful, but I think the way that social media tends to digest it and vomit it up on the internet has mm-hmm. some really unintended consequences. And so I, I feel I feel really torn when I see a video like that go online. Right. And go viral. I think the biggest thing was that the women weren't as aggressive as they really could have been. You know, mm. that they they really could have ran up in there and been like, whatever. Like, nobody, you know, they could have been a lot more um, <laughs> just buck in that in that process. And instead, they literally just had a conversation with the people. Of course, like, yes, Secret Service probably would have done some things. I don't know if I call it a conversation, but... I mean, it's going to be heated and like there are multiple questions, but I feel like for me... If they wanted to sit there and protest outside the entire day, they definitely could have. And it seems like they did not. You know, they took the video and whatever they did next. And I think that's the thing is, like, I need more context for all the rest of the things that happened before and after. Mm -hmm. But regardless, what it feels like is, like, you've denied somebody access to this, this conversation, this political conversation where you're vying for the votes of people who live in Las Vegas. If these people live in Las Vegas and you don't want to allow them into the room, then you are saying, well, I don't I'm not worried about your vote. It's saying, I'm not worried about including you in this process. It's saying this process isn't for everyone. And that's mm. the part that's um, fucked up. I was like, I don't have, I don't have better language. That's, that's the, the component of it. And I think at the same time, thinking about how back in November, um, you know, the White House sent out this, this statement that said they're going to establish the first ever national strategy to counter Islamophobia. And so mm-hmm. Biden-Harris, it looks like, they want to show some sort of support for the people who live here. Um, but at the same time, our, our country is funding a war. So I, I feel like we can't have it both ways. But either way, like what we do here matters just as much as what we're doing overseas. Yeah, what we do here has huge impacts overseas. Absolutely. But I do wonder if like, you know, as you say, like a political process or a part of the conversation, like, you know, if what the Biden administration says is true, that one of the women, you know, had disrupted a previous event. Did they come to this event in good faith to have a conversation as well? And I Mm -hmm. I wonder if a a campaign event like this, it's not necessarily the same as a public forum, you know, where free speech is maybe viewed differently. It was sort of a private event, like a a ticketed private event. So did did the standards there change for this particular event? I Mm -hmm. I don't know. But um, I don't know, April, have you heard of instances where people disrupting other events have been uh, taken out or asked to leave, like other similar kind of campaign events? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a campaign event uh, necessarily, 
officially, I'll say, but uh, you right, know, Jack, Jackie Rosen, hey, everything's <laughs> in them as much everything. as everything's a campaign event. But uh, Senator Jackie Rosen recently went to a Hispanic in politics event uh, that was not related to uh, anything in the Middle East. Uh, mm-hmm. But she went there and her event was disrupted at the end by two uh, pro-Palestinian protesters, one of which it's uh, suggested in the Review Journal's article is one of the people who was denied the event at the Kamala Harris event. Um, So it has been happening. uh, And we've seen that before in campaigns where not necessarily related to this event, but during COVID and during shutdowns and during vaccine conversations and mandatory Mm. vaccine conversations, a lot of the politicians in town stopped announcing in advance where they were going. So Mm -hmm. as like a member of the media, we would get releases that say Mm so-and-so is going to be here on this day, RSVP, and we'll tell you where it is two hours beforehand. And they were doing that because people were coming and protesting and disrupting their events. In that case, it was about COVID and it was about vaccines and those things. Here, we're seeing it more about Islamophobia and, and, and Palestine. Uh, so just speaking of the context, like it's not unusual for pol- politicians to distance themselves from that. Um, and really, at the end of the day, it comes down to whether or not you agree with the protesters, how upset you get about it. Right. So like right. in the case, we didn't see a lot of pushback from that happening to, um, you know, the, the, the covid people. But again, that was happening across parties. That was primarily Republicans going after Democrats who were sort of supporting that. In this case, it's sort of Democrat on Democrat. So it's a little bit different. Uh, but but it is you know, not unusual, I'll say, for, for mm-hmm. things like this to happen and for campaigns to try and get ahead of it. Because as much as we're talking about it right now, this conversation and that headline about this will probably blow over quicker, perhaps, than if an actual disruption had happened. So they have mm-hmm. to weigh that or whatever. So mm-hmm. that's just the unfortunate reality we live in today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see someone being really frustrated about not having access to certain politicians, yeah. too, right? Like, I know that a lot of politicians don't make themselves readily available. And so if mm-hmm. you're trying to have a conversation with a politician, it's like, I'm sending you letters. I'm da 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 And if I can't reach you, then this is like... You what know, do you do? Right. right this right. is what you do. You know, mm-hmm. that that yeah, is the you path you us. go forward. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, and we don't necessarily know, the two women have not been identified by name. Obviously, they are known in communities and things. Uh, I don't know who they are. But uh, so, so it's like Vogue said, some of the details are missing, like whether or not one of them is quoted um, in the RJ story saying, I was not there to protest. I have never protested in my entire life. So that's mm-hmm. BS. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we take her at face value, then she could be the innocent victim of mm-hmm. them identifying someone who was a known protester. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the women didn't show up together, if they, you know what I mean, then should they have given her the benefit of the doubt? There is a larger conversation again about that, but right. it's complicated. And I think to be able to go into the room and say, like, I was trying to find footage of the actual event. Um, yeah. And like, you know, the question I wanted a camera pan to be like, okay, well, is there no one in that room that has on the hijab? You know, yeah. like that's, that's kind of a part of the question because mm-hmm. then then the the accusations you know are are lessened is mm-hmm. it was it specifically them targeting you because they don't want you to come or was it they were targeting muslims yeah. and there's there's a big difference in those two mm-hmm. things and um, how do people get invited to these things anyway like if they had their name on the list i mean like they made it far they were almost there almost. <laughs> yeah so, and like there's different types of protests so, like you could peacefully yeah. protest um and, you know, you could just go and lay down on the floor and be like, I'm protesting. So there's different types of protests. I don't have time for this, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a lot of different kinds of protests, true. Um, well, let's talk about this in the kind of context of a, of a bigger 
movement kind of upswelling in the U.S., which is the hashtag abandoned Biden movement. Last month, Muslim leaders from across the country um, gathered a coalition of swing state Muslim voters mm. um, in Michigan, which has a very large Muslim population. Mm. I know that Nevada does not have as big of a Muslim population as Michigan does. But by one statistic, I believe we have 7,400 Arab um, Americans in Nevada, which I know is not a one-to-one correlation with Muslim voters, but nonetheless, a smaller proportion than other states like Michigan might have. So what do we know about the political implications of this event and others for the Biden campaign in Nevada? Are they are they losing support? I think the, the issue here isn't necessarily that like people are going to look at this issue and be like, well, you know who's better? Trump and vote Republican. But it's about people sitting out. It's about people not being excited about the Biden uh, campaign. I mean, we know essentially that what turns elections is turnout. Like you need people to come out and vote. You need the huge percentage of the population that is non-active to come out and be excited about that. And when people are upset with you about this issue, they're mm-hmm. not they're going to be less jazzed to tell their husband and tell their cousin and tell their friends to go register and vote and turn out and do all of that. So what impact that has? Obviously, that's hard to judge. And it, it's compared to, you know, it's part of an ecosystem that also includes a lot of stuff um, about the economy and about healthcare and about, you know, human dignity and all of that. So there's a lot there's a lot of factors, but it certainly doesn't help the excitement for the people who care about this. And even if we have a small population, uh, we do have a lot of people who um, are consider themselves allies of that and who are, you know, invested in this issue um, Mm. as a human rights issue. And that may have an impact. Well, let's move on to our third topic, which is why do so many freaking cars in Las Vegas not have license plates? Have y'all seen this? You drive around. I have not noticed that at all. Now I'm going to start looking. I feel like I see it all the time. Why is it happening? Like, what? <laughs> has everybody so, decided F it? Let me tell you. Channel 13 had this very same question and they went out on the streets. They sat down at an intersection near the strip. For 30 minutes, they counted more than a dozen cars without plates. And I was kind of surprised, but also not surprised to hear this. Um, and they they talked to some folks from the DMV who said that, honestly, the issue really started to uptick during the pandemic when some of the mm-hmm. rules around, like, registration, et cetera, kind of relaxed. Obviously, we didn't want people crowded in long lines at the DMV, which is everything that happens at the DMV. <laughs> um, but folks since then haven't been as good at picking things back up and getting <laughs> on their car registration, license plates, whatever. I'm just frankly shocked because I always thought that driving without a license plate would just like immediately get you pulled over. Maybe I'm right. just yeah. like a scaredy cat, but I'm always like, let me never do something with my car that's going to get me pulled over. So I'm like, how are all these people getting away with this? I don't even know. I think some of that is like, I think the DMV also probably dropped the ball in some ways because my registration yeah. used to be due in July and then... This past year, I got a notice and they were like, give me some more money because the fines are trash. And so then I went and I went on my birthday to get my car registered. No. So then oh, what God. it did is said, it said, henceforth, your registration is now due on your birthday. So now, like literally when March hits, my registration is going to be due on my birthday again. So like they changed the date based on my late date of registration as opposed to just leaving it in July. And, you know, I don't know, what? accepting my lateness. Happy birthday. <laughs> Pay your car registration. <laughs> I mean, you know, now I have a, a specific, you know, crowdfunding amount. Yeah, there we go. For me in 2020, I had to like renew my registration and the DMV 
lost they they you know they mail you a sticker mm-hmm. um, so you can do it online and then they the sticker didn't it got lost in the mail and then I maybe <laughs> forgot about the fact that I didn't get the new sticker in the mail oh my gosh <laughs> and got a ticket no and then paying the oh. ticket during the pandemic was such a pain because I had to try to like go to these kiosks and one of the kiosks was down and whatever 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 um, the workaround that I found for registration is that if you decide to like, uh, I hate to admit this, but if you decide to pay for a triple A membership, you can actually do registration through triple A and not oh. deal with the DMV directly. Ah, there's the, yeah. there's the rub. Okay. What about you, April? Any horror stories from the DMV? No, not really, to be honest. Like, sorry. I. Okay. What is your trick what? then? What, what do you, what do you, do you know someone who works I just there? drive around with no plate. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. <laughs> you. I'm kidding. It's me. You, April. It's no, it's. Uh, I haven't actually really had any issues, to be honest. I mean, I do think that the best invention ever, and I will always thank them for that, is their appointment system, okay. which yes. uh, is fantastic. Like, hmm. it is uh, really, I mean, comparative, I guess, relative. I see Vogue's like eyes being like, <laughs> Girl, actually, okay, it did make things better. It did make things a lot easier than sort of waiting there for eight hours. Like, when I've had to go in, um, and I've only had to go in, uh, I think once or whatever, really, in the last few years, it, it's I've had fine. I just April's not in it. charge of the car. That's what it is. I think your partner manages maybe, the vehicle. Maybe he takes care of the. I can do it the... online or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't change my oil, but I do the car registration every year. Thank you okay. for my car, not for my husband's truck. But Ooh. I don't think he's ever complained about it. But okay, I think maybe it's pure luck, or maybe they like me. They, they hmm. clearly like you. Maybe it's, it's <laughs> like. This reporter with her winning smile, <laughs> her cool glasses. Up, you know, <laughs> I don't know what her. it is. It's, you know what? I think that I'm just a lucky person because I also, this is not related at all, but I just feel lucky because I also never get called for jury duty. So <gasps> DMV and jury duty are, I what? have just, okay. I have no idea why. I have no April idea why. has a golden ticket. That's you great. won the administrative lottery somehow. I like this. Now that I you. just said that publicly, I will have okay. nightmares at both of those. But currently, <laughs> I've not had an issue. As long as it doesn't happen <laughs> yeah. for real life. <laughs> but yes, I think the kiosks have been like my saving grace. I think I, I love the kiosk. True. There's like an insurance company that has kiosks and that mm-hmm. has been phenomenal. And so if you can use the kiosks, use the kiosks, use the appointment system, <laughs> use prayer. Good luck. <laughs> I've also heard the tip that like mid-month, mid-week, mid-day is the best. Like always remember mid. Okay. Good to I remember know. a DMV person telling me that one time where it was like, People tend to pay for things and do things at the beginning of the month or the end of the month. Uh, so like the middle of the month, the middle of the week is better than, you know, so maybe that's a tip. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So the tips are go middle of the month, middle of the week, middle of the day, go for the mid, uh, use the kiosks and use their online registration system. And if you want to throw down some extra money, maybe look into AAA as an option. I love it. All right, Vegas, you've been armed with these tips. Go get your license plates, please. <laughs> For real. Oh, God. Don't be out here riding dirty. They'll, they will pull you over. Don't play. Um, Vogue, April, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. As per usual, have a great weekend, y'all. You too. You too. Thank you, Sonia. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our producers this week are me, Sonia Cho Swanson, Layla Mohammed, Lizzie Goldsmith, and Natalie Rivera. 
Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheet, and our hosts are David Figler and Sarah Lohman. Music is by OG Mood, Epidemic Sound, and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, come on, I know you enjoyed it. Go out there, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, give us some stars, please, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care.